Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 12 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12, we'll be looking at it together today in its entirety. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with the text today. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word this morning, we admit our own lack of wisdom, our own frailty when it comes to making decisions. We would easily read these words and think them about us or think them about some other Savior that we have concocted. But they are about You. And so, Lord, we pray that as we read Your Word that You would write our hearts, that You would convict us of our sin, that You would lead us to the truth. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. So as I read this passage, it's a song. Isaiah 12 is just a song that the people are singing in celebration. It made me think of musicals. I love musicals. And it made me think of this particular musical where they're celebrating at least some parts of the, the musical they're celebrating, and it's the musical Les Miserables. It's based on a novel of the same name from the 19th century, and it outlines this period of time in in the country of France when they were having this series of little rebellions there in the mid-19th century. And the basic idea is pretty simple. The government was oppressing the people. People didn't like it, so they revolted, and they built these barricades all over the city, uh, the city of Paris, to hold out against the, the French army. Victor Hugo, the writer of the novel, he dramatized this in his novel and it was made into a musical which is absolutely incredible if you haven't watched it or or seen it the reason I mention it today is because of the way that the music and the narrative draws you in to the theme of the story you find yourself rooting for the rebels because you can hear the passion of their words you know of their oppression as they sing you really are into it because of the, even through the ups and downs in the musical, there's this thread of victorious singing that is throughout, and you just really get into it, and you want to find yourself in this barricaded place in, in Paris. It stirs you up. It's what music does to us. It stirs our hearts. It causes our hearts and our minds to kind of come together, this whole thinking, feeling thing that is very good for us. So in our text today, we have just that sort of thing happening. In chapter 11, the people are experiencing this victory over their enemies. Todd read from that from Psalm 118 today as well. It's this kind of this victory. And here in 12, they're singing about it. And just like in Les Mis, you can feel their words. Even though we are thousands of years removed from this event... We've been on this roller coaster in Isaiah through chapter, from chapter 1, and we felt the ups and downs of this book, and to finally see it come to this crescendo of victory is pretty cool. The most incredible thing about this song, of course, is that it points to our Savior, Jesus Christ. While Israel found temporary relief from their worldly enemies, you just keep reading, they find some more. Uh, that deliverance that they could ultimately find can only be found in Christ. And that should stop us 
or that should stop us from singing about any other Savior but Him. And that it should also point us to being joyful and being thankful in song. And how our songs, whether we sing them or whether we just speak them, our, our stories should be very much of the same. So as we look at this text, I want to look at three main points. That his anger was turned away, wells of salvation, and then lastly, his glorious works. And so with that, let's look at the text together. Isaiah chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 12, starting at verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So quickly, just to review and give us some background... To bring us up to where we are in the book of Isaiah, the first ten chapters of Isaiah outline the invaders, Assyria, and the victims, Israel and Judah. And they're not really victims, we know that, because this Assyrian invasion is because of God's judgment on His people. So the cause of the whole thing is God saying, I will judge my people and I will use Assyria to do it. The people of God were being judged for their injustice, for their idolatry. And now God was using the pagan Assyrians for His tool of judgment. But in chapter 11, God strikes down His tool of judgment and delivers His people from them. If we can gain anything from this is so far as our understanding that God keeps His covenant promises. We see this in the language of our psalms today that we've looked at. This idea of steadfast love is this covenant love that he has for his people. While he may discipline his child, they are still his child. And he plans to keep it that way for all eternity. And so no Assyria is going to come between him and his people. We see that the salvation of of a remnant of his people, those who call upon his name for salvation. They are saved. And so now in chapter 12, they're singing about it. 12 kind of represents a bookend in the first part of Isaiah. The next section, 13 through 27, is going to deal with the judgment on the nations. And we're going to go through lots of different nations. We're going to learn a lot about the geography of this area as we go through the next 15 or so chapters in Isaiah. And so here in chapter 12 we have what is, amounts to kind of the first climax in the book. It very closely mimics another story in Scripture that we're all probably familiar with, the one found in Exodus. The first chapters of that book outline the difficulty the people are having in Egypt. 
So God raises up a deliverer in Moses. Moses goes into Egypt as one who was raised there and demands that the people of God be freed from persecution. They be freed from the Pharaoh. Through this series of devastating plagues, Egypt is completely decimated. It culminates with the Passover event, which we're going to be looking at today in Sunday school as we talk about the Lord's Supper, where the firstborn of Egypt are all killed, and Israel is spared because of the blood of the Lamb. And they are chased as they leave Israel, the people of God are, as they leave Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea. The people of God miraculously cross the Red Sea on dry ground, and the army of Pharaoh is swallowed up. That's chapters 1 through 14. And then we get to chapter 15. Turn with me there. Of Exodus chapter 15. They have this great celebratory event. They see the Red Sea stand on its end. And so they sing about it. Which is what chapter 15 is. It's a long song. I'll read the first few verses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang, sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing of the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown, or he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is, the, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Did you notice a similar verse there that's in our text today? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Todd read that from Psalm 118 again today as well. A very prominent theme in Scripture. This great moment of victory for Israel, and they give it back to God because, of course, God made it all happen. They weren't victorious. God was. He is the man of war. The Lord is his name. And so in verse 13 of chapter 15, we read that you have led led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. This covenantal love. It's a love that never forgets. And so fast forward to Isaiah chapter 12. It's no accident that Isaiah is quoting Moses here. Because in that day, the day that Assyria is driven out, the day they are delivered, they would have only had God to point to as the deliverer. He is their strength and their song. And it's the same in our day. Only we can point to Him alone. He did it. We did nothing. Were it left up to us, there would be no reason to sing any victory today. That brings us to the first point, His anger turned away. Look with me at verse 1. Of Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, you turned your your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. This uh, chapter gets right to the point. Uh, This really captures, I think, the entirety of Scripture in one verse. Though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. If you look back through all the preceding chapters about the, the judgment that we've read about, we get this idea of anger, do we not? Anger would be a great way to summarize the Lord's relationship toward his people up to this point in the book of Isaiah. They rebelled against him, and he showed them his wrath in bringing judgment on them. You'd think that he would be the last person 
that they would want to go to in order to find comfort. But that is not true. The idea that God is angry with sinners is a hard pill to swallow for many today. Because they want to paint a picture of a God that Scripture never paints. This idea that God was once angry with us. That His anger had to be turned away. They want a God who has nice blonde hair and blue eyes and who wears a toga and cries all the time. But that's not the God that we worship. They want Him to excuse their sins because they say things like, God is love. How can He be angry with me? They want Him to look past their sins and the sins of our society because they say, well, God knows our hearts and He respects our choices. That's words of someone who's never read the first 11 chapters of Isaiah. They want a God they they can control. Because, well, you've heard this before, the God that I worship would never do that or never say that. The God that you worship is not the one found in Scripture. And they get away with it. How do they get away with it? Because they never open their Bibles. And the places that they choose to attend church never open their Bibles either. And so a place where you never consult the truth, you don't have to worry about the truth. Because the truth of it is, they know what the God of the Bible is really like. How much He hates sin. And how much He hates the sinner. How much He's angry with them. They hate Him for it. Because they are the enemy. And so they want nothing to do with Him. So they reject that. And it's the paradox of sin in our fallen world. People, whether they admit it or not, believe in God. We know this. We know this from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the work of the Lord. Romans 1, all man is without excuse because God makes himself plain in his creation. That's why they are angry. Because God doesn't behave like they want him to. He is not one that can be tamed. He is not one that can be controlled. You cannot put your truth upon Him because He is the truth. In fact, they hope to be able to behave however they want to. They have a God that will affirm their actions because they've created that God themselves and somehow bend His sense of good and justice to the way that they see the world. And when the one true God refuses to do so and is angry with them for it, They are angry. And I think when we picture the person that is angry with God, and probably when I've been talking for the last few minutes, you've all had this picture of someone, maybe the the hardened atheist who's in his mom's basement and trolls Christians all day on the Internet. But anger at God exists in normal, everyday people like you and I who pout when we don't get what we want. And those are the facts. And rather than go on about a possible source of comfort, about God being the only source of comfort, we try to find any and all other sources of comfort, except for the only one that we could possibly go to and find it. Why? Because when you go to the one true God, you have to admit, when you go to Him, you have to admit, like Isaiah, you were angry with me, even as a Christian. We have to admit that. 
You have to admit your sin in order to go to Him. And without that admission, the second part doesn't work. Without that admission, there is no turning away from His anger because He is still angry with you. His anger is not turned away. But for those who God is no longer angry with, what does their song then become? Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation because it has nothing to do with me. He is my strength. He is my song. He is my comfort. He is victorious. And I get to sing and shout about His victory. And so here we have two options before us. Sing about God as our strength and our song because we've admitted He were angry with me, but now your anger is turned away. Or continue to search for some other comfort and have God's anger to continue to rest upon us. And if you think that that's an okay thing, just read the first ten chapters of Isaiah. They're not a very pretty picture. If you are in Christ, remember that He alone is your comfort. He is why God has turned His anger from you. Because He turned it to Christ instead. If you are not in Christ, God is angry with you. Call upon the name of Jesus. Run to God and be comforted. That brings me to the next section, the next point. Wells of salvation, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This transition verse, kind of between songs or between verses in the song, is a good one because it shows us the depth of our salvation and the joy therein. Draw water from the wells of salvation. This should immediately remind us of a story of our Lord in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Remember... Jesus was meeting with a Samaritan woman. And she is a woman that has had quite a past. Jesus knows this about her because, of course, he knows everything. This meeting was not by chance. And he confronts her with it. I think it's important for us to understand here. You know, Jesus talks about her sin. She's had five husbands, and the man that she's currently living with is not her husband. She's living in sin. Seemingly unrepentant from that sin. She was a worshiper. She had questions about worship. She knew God. She knew the law. She just didn't like it, obviously. So what does Jesus offer her? Forgiveness. Water from wells of salvation. Living water. Look with me at verse 7 there in John chapter 4. And following, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks 
of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. All the water in the world won't cure a person who's dead in their sins, but only the salvation offered from the Lord Jesus himself can do that. The salvation that the Lord offered this woman was not just simply water from the well, but water from the wells of salvation, that only he can do that. So the salvation from Christ is this never-ending well from which we can continually draw from. And I think we all get that, that idea. But perhaps we probably lose sight at the very first part of verse 3. With joy, you draw water from wells of salvation. Why are we so often drawing from the wells of salvation with bitterness and spite and anger in our hearts when it should be joy? Just like the previous point, why is it that God has given us so much in Christ, but we want just a bit more to make our joy complete? Rather than focus on the infinite blessings that we have in Christ, we focus on the blessings that we don't have, which are false, by the way. There's no blessings that we don't have. Our blessings are complete in Christ. This is the allure of the prosperity gospel, by the way, that God is somehow holding out on us and that we need only to tap into his true potential. And then we can have all these other things, you know, like jets and checks in the mailbox every day. The reason we have sickness and poverty is because we really aren't faithful, is what they would tell us, and that God exists to give us things, period. It's a pretty sad gospel that if the material wealth of this world is the end goal. We quickly forget verse 1, that God was angry with us and that we deserve nothing but death outside of Him. Yet He causes us to draw from the wells of salvation anyway. And that's all the salvation that we really need. We need nothing else. Physical health and material blessing are, are things that we may or may not have. And those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Either way, we draw from a well of infinite blessings in Christ. So let us be a people who come to that well with joy. Knowing that it is from those blessings that we have eternal salvation. And lastly, His glorious works, verses 4-6. through six. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So how do the people respond to the salvation that comes from God? By giving thanks, by singing praises. Not only that, but singing out to the world as well. Letting everyone know that their God is the one who does these wondrous works. Verse 5, again, is one that is borrowed from Exodus 15. Because He does glorious things. I mean, it makes sense when you're looking at Exodus 15, right? He caused the Red Sea to stand up. Would easily be able, I think that would fit into the category of glorious work. But don't miss the real blessing and victory here in Isaiah 12. Sure, it's the deliverance from the Assyrian army. It's the deliverance from their enemies. But verse 6 gives us a real picture 
of the blessing. Sing and sh- or shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What does this mean that the Holy One of Israel was in their midst? If you read through the book of Exodus and following, you read that God was in the midst of his people. And how did he do so? Well, they had this long instruction book on how to build a tabernacle, and they did that. And they built a tabernacle, and it was in the center of this camp, and the camp had to be constructed a certain way. And when they did all this, God would come down, and he would be with his people. Moses would, would directly intercede on their behalf. God existed right there in the midst of his people. This continued. And throughout the Old Testament, they eventually built a temple that was really nice. And they built a temple, and only the priests were allowed in, only in special circumstances and special days. But the holy place in the temple represented where God was in the midst of his people. Isaiah prophesied throughout this first 12 chapters that there was going to be one come that was called Emmanuel, God with us, who would come. So what is verse 6 about? Jesus. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory dwelt among us. Literally set up a tent in our midst. The Holy One of Israel right here among His people. And we have seen His glory. This is incredible, brothers and sisters, because we don't need an intercessor any longer He is it. We have direct access to God because He is God in the flesh here among us. People of Israel ultimately look forward to that day, but it is here for us in Christ today. And He came and He died so that He would no longer be angry with us, but so that His anger would be turned away and that we could be comforted And he rose from the dead so that those enemies would be put to rest once and for all. And he's coming again. And this time he will cast out all those with whom he is still angry. I hope you're not seeing this today and thinking, okay, good, one day he's not going to be angry with me. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I believe. That's not the case at all. He is coming back. And for those who have believed, He's taken to eternal glory. For those who do not, He's casting out into eternal darkness. If that's you, call upon His name and be saved. The one who will judge you can be your comforter. Call upon Him. There is no other way to be saved other than to call upon the name of Jesus. The one who is angry with you because of your sin, but He will also forgive you. He is faithful to do that. And so in conclusion, in Christ, we've been given these deep wells of salvation in Him from which we should continually draw with joy and gladness. Let us be a people who never stop coming to the well of salvation with joy. And let us be ones also who tell the world the reason why we have this joy. Let's go to Him in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, as we come to You, we recognize that You, the Holy One of Israel, right here in our midst, You have come and You are here with us and we worship You. Lord, as You are here, we are not deserving. We are people who sin. We are people who doubt Your promises. We are people who seek after God's readily. And so, Lord, we pray that you help our wayward hearts, that you would continue to draw us closer to you, even in spite of ourselves, that you would grow us closer to you, that we would be people who worship you in spirit and in truth, and that we would be people who call others to do the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.